And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. I think that we certainly in some ways have taken a step back, but we've identified and seen some of the things that are deficient uh, in our group been around long enough now where we've seen them and we want to make those improvements. It's uh, no time to feel sorry for yourself. It's time to get back to work. And uh, I, I have a lot of faith in, in Kyle as a general manager and Sheldon as a coach. Our ownership group and the support that they give us and our fans, they're frustrated. I mean, it's been four years in a row now we've, we've gone out in the first round. Uh, our fans uh, in Toronto, though, it's been 16 years since they've won a round. It's been 53 years since we've won a cup, so you inherit a little bit of history here, and so you have to be understanding for a fan base that is excited and wants to be rewarded and get results. This is a results business, and we're, we're determined to get those results. Well, James, that was Brendan Shanahan at the end of the Leafs' season officially. Um, that's the first time there's been a situation like that where the end-of-season availabilities are done on video. Um, so what was like your big takeaway from Shanahan, Dubis, Keith, 10 players spoke? What was kind of your impression? Where, where were your feelings at when this all kind of came to an end officially? Well, you're kind of on these things, you're trying to read the tea leaves because they're not going to come out and say, we're trading this guy and we're trading that guy and we're not re-signing this person and that person, even though Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh did a little bit of that. <laughs> yeah, I love him. He's He's wonderful, you know, and... You know what? Uh, he's good for the media, and he's had a, a really good career as an executive. And um, you know that clip from Shanahan's, and that—that's a good one to use. That's one of the more interesting ones, and that's one of the more. That's one of the clips where management's kind of taking ownership of of what's happened and saying they're going to fix it. Um, there was a lot of, I, I thought from Dubis, there was a lot of kind of defensiveness maybe maybe and he was kind of you know he had some of these he had the the stat about the defensive uh, or or, uh, depth scoring and I don't know it just felt like the wrong time to bring some of that stuff out um you know what I mean like like he he, he was talking to he was talking about some of these stats and stuff like that well that was I asked him about the ability to to build a winning team with four players eating up half the cap and he kind of went into a tangent about their depth scoring being better than we think it is which he acknowledged was was kind of a tangent but I, I think what's interesting to that point is you go back to last year and he went out of his way almost to the point where it didn't feel genuine of taking ownership and blame for everything he's like the penalty kill my fault this is my fault this is my fault and it almost felt like just because this time you could actually point to some things and say this is actually on his shoulders there was a little bit less of that like he defended Cody Cece again he he kind of defended defended some maybe the wrong word but he went out of his way to um, talk up you know the way Tyson Berry played after the coaching change there just wasn't as much of that 
ownership over things in that way. And yet I come, I'm not sure it's, it would be really tough to come out and, and say, you know what, that, that Barry trade, man, I shouldn't have done that. And I, yeah, I, I thought Cody CC could play in the top four. What a mistake. Like it, it's hard to really do that as a GM. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I, uh, yeah, it just it, doesn't come across as well doing it that way. I just think, I don't think you have to take ownership of every specific thing, but I think generally speaking, you could have, there could yeah. have been some of that. And I, I think, you know, Shanahan's even taken ownership of what's happened in the last 16 years and the last 53 years and which, you know, he, I've heard, he's talked about in the past that he didn't want to do and that that isn't their legacy. Um, I just think that the, the, the fan base wanted kind of a little bit more, I don't know, hope coming out of those availabilities than they got. You know, I think that I think I think the you know reading social media and whatever fans were very frustrated with what was said there, and it's I mean it's I I still don't have an amazing sense of what the next step is going to be here. You know, I, I didn't come away from that thinking they're for sure going to make a lot of big changes, and I also. I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility that they keep relatively the same group together for next season. And I'm sure on the podcast we're going to debate whether that's a that that's the right move or not. Yeah, and and I think what what to your point, um, they didn't kind of come out and set a direction for where they're going to go. Now, the counter to that is it was a couple days after the season ended. They they probably don't know. Um, and like you said, it, it, it might not be wise to come out and say, you know what, this isn't working. But I guess you could acknowledge that that maybe we're going there had to be maybe a little bit more self-reflection of maybe what we've been doing here needs some adjustment. Maybe maybe we've been wrong on, on certain things. Maybe we've been too we pushed too far in the direction of skill. Maybe maybe we need to think about like making our roster a little bit more diverse in terms of the types of players that are, are on there. Maybe our core does need adjustment. Maybe like, like there could have been a little bit more of that. And I think what's interesting is you look back or I think back to last year again. And one of the things that was very striking when you had Kyle Dubas taking ownership over everything and you had Mike Babcock not doing that. And I always felt at the time like that wasn't a great look, and yet it was also like two days after the year. Maybe like you need some time to really yeah. think about it and and plan and not just like you could do. Imagine if they came out and basically did what Jim Rutherford did and been like, man, like uh, Tyson Berry, like what a what a mistake that was for us, and like the way that you know he kind of came out and and critiqued Justin Schultz and. Um, it just it might not play well in the b- very big picture. Like it might satisfy some fans and TV and media and us in the short term, but it might not be the the right strategy when you're actually in charge of a team in this kind of market. No. Well, and they, I don't know. I like it's two or three days after their season ended. I, I'm sure they didn't even they hadn't fully mapped out what the plan forward was. Right. You know exactly. But the flip side to what you're saying is I don't think they had to defend yeah. individual yeah. things, you know, say that CC actually played well and what well, was like nothing was wrong. Like I right. don't I can't actually recall aside from like very team wide things, we need to find consistency, our regular season mentality has to change. There wasn't like a lot of criticism about people and maybe that's the, that's they're just not going to do that like it maybe it's just not smart in this market to come out and say frederick anderson wasn't good enough i just feel like you can be a little bit more um honest with people because like fans aren't dumb like fans are as smart as anyone like especially like the hardcores listening to this and you know reading all kinds of coverage like if you came out and said you know what frederick anderson like we like the way he, he rebounded in this series, but but we really need him to, to be more consistent during the regular season. We need him to really be our backbone, and, and that just wasn't there at certain points during the year, and we're going to have to figure out, you know, if he's the right guy for us. Like, I, I feel like you can kind of maybe do a little bit more of yeah. that. Yeah, I think they're probably thinking, though, that 
you throw any little bit of red meat out to the media and then all of yep. a sudden, you know, if they question the core or the strategy in any minor respect, that soundbite's going to be talked about and played over and over and over again for months. Yes. So I, I, I don't know. Just the tone of it just seemed a bit, a bit, a bit strange. I, I, I think that they're very frustrated with this team. I know that they're very frustrated with this team. They feel like it should be better than it is. And, you know, it's almost like, I don't know. I mean, like, it's like, you know how, like, sometimes you put tons and tons of work into a story or something, and it just doesn't turn into what you wanted it to be or how much work you put into it? It's like the Leafs have put so much into thinking about this roster and creating it and whatever, and... You know, without spending more time off the record talking to them, it, it feels, you know, the concern I would have as a fan is that maybe there's a little bit of a uh, little bit of denial there that there's what's wrong with this team. Um, and the concern would be that they don't make many changes to the rock. Like my concern listening to that, that press conference as a fan would be, does this mean you know, you say you still believe in what you're doing and the, and the path and everything. Does that mean that we're just going to see if this group can do it again next year? And if they if they do that, then that's really probably Dubas putting his job on the line. You know, if they don't make many changes and say this group's going to get it done and they don't, um, it's not going to look good. Well, I think that's a good place to start. Um, I think some of the defensiveness combativeness, whatever you want to call it, um, came from Kyle Dubas. And I think that that's probably because more so than at any point probably in his time, and he hasn't been the GM for that long, just two years. But he's facing a lot of heat now, you know, as to whether the team that he's built and and had some say over shaping uh, is going to work. How fair do you think it is at this point? He's, he's only been the GM for two seasons He's been around the organization since 2014, but obviously there was a different GM in charge. Like, how fair do you think the criticism of him right now is? Well, I think that I I think it's somewhat overblown, and I I, I get that people are frustrated, and there's a lot of anti-analytics sentiment and a lot of kind of old school hockey sentiment and. You know what, Jonas, I don't think you can underestimate, too, when you're in a market like this and you have a lot of former players and, and powerful former executives that are on the radio and on TV, and they're saying this stuff over and over and over again. And there's, there's, it's really interesting with, with Dubis because, you know, like I, I spent the last, it was away at the lake uh, the last few days. I, did, I didn't write anything after the, the end of season availabilities. Um, it's been such a weird summer just with, you know, there being hockey in the middle of August. But, um, you know, when I was at the lake, I spent a lot of time on the phone just talking to people with different teams and, you know, around the league. And I talked to some former Leafs players and, you know, some people that are really close to the team right now. And, you know, the perception of, of Dubas is, is, it's very polarizing. You know, he's he's like one of these people that's still at the center of this debate around the league and it feels like there's a lot of people that really like if you're a younger executive in the NHL and who who kind of subscribes to um not just analytics but different ways of doing things and thinking about things differently you still believe in in Kyle Dubas's vision and you still feel like you know he had some tough cards dealt to him last summer which I mean we can talk about that a little bit but like how difficult their summer was last year trying to clear cap space and sign people and things like that um, but then if you talk to more older school people, there's a lot more skepticism about Dubas. And, you know, I, I really feel like this off season and next season is going to be a very real referendum on is what he's trying to do with the Leafs working or not. Because, you know, you, while you can make an argument that, that this year he had his, you know, one hand tied behind his back with, with Marlowe and Zaitsev and a couple of the other things that had to happen... It's very much going to be his roster next year. I mean, there's there's not a lot of you can't point to a lot of things with with the team 
this offseason and next year that are going to be, you know, Lou things other than maybe the poor drafts. Um, so, you know, his, this, this is really kind of going to be Kyle Dubas' stand here with what he does with his team. Well, I guess if you're going back to last summer, you can tie back to Lou. Obviously, the Patrick Marlowe trade, which cost them a first-round pick. The Nikita Zaitsev trade, which, you know, you have to give up Connor Brown. You take back Cody CC. They were going to trade Connor back. Brown anyway. Like, they were they were looking at trading Connor Brown for a second- or third-round pick anyway. Like, they were tight on the cap. and Right, but that's that's a decision. Like, you, you can trade someone else. Like, you don't have to trade Connor Brown. But it wasn't a Zaitsev thing. Like, because right, they, got, they but, got back a third-round pick in that trade. That was kind of just like... Right, but like you had to unload that contract, and yes, yes, that's not. But so you had to unload it in part because you paid your young guys so much money, and you didn't bridge any of them. And right, and that's on that's on Dubas in the front office, and like that's that's one of the the tricky things when you look at this big picture since he's been in charge. One of the reasons, like I thought it was a smart move at the time, and I still think it was the right move, is I thought that there would be a way that he approached these things those contracts maybe in a more forward thinking kind of way um, than Lou Lamorello. And maybe the conditions just, it was never going to happen just because you had these young players who are coming up and they're being like, why am I taking so much less when I'm one of the best players on the team? Like maybe that was just inevitable. Um, But I think when you look at, you know, the way he's judged, it feels like it's a little it's gone a little too far as as far as the perception that he's so unconventional. It's not like so out of the realm the way that they've built the team. Um, I think the 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 little things you could point to is they've gone so far um, in skill and speed everywhere, and they've kind of looked past a little bit of that old school stuff you're talking about. Like they've looked past a little bit of like the intangible stuff. Um, the reason like Mike Babcock loved Roman Polak, the reason like that Lou Lamorello signs Ron Hainsey, like they've kind of looked past a little bit of the stuff um, that's not just talent. And I feel like that to me is a fair criticism of Kyle Dubas. Um, well, it comes down like to this. It comes down to yeah. this, Jonas, like you, you know, I've gone back and I was looking at some of our coverage from last summer and. The talk was they had to fix their cap situation. They had to have enough cap space to sign Mar- Marner, Kapanen, Janssen, and they had to try and fix the defense. And the answer for them in terms of signing the young players was they all got more than we were expecting. Um, and the answer to fixing the defense was Tyson Berry. And I remember immediately after that trade happened talking to people with other teams, and they were like, this is not the player that they need. This is not the what's missing from their lineup, which which led to them struggling in the playoffs or or you know not being able to have a playoff run. This is this is not the answer for them, and those people ended up looking really prescient. You know, if you go back and look at the column I wrote after they traded for Barry, you know, I said in there other people around the league don't think this is going to work, and it didn't end up working, and there probably wasn't enough skepticism in the market about the Barry trade than there probably should have been. Well, myself included, the way I looked at it, I think was they were in a tough position as, as to where they were going to find that player. Um, and I, I kind of felt like what they were trying to do is let's just add talent. Like let's just add another talented player onto our team. And that is going to make us better um, because like they're, they're, they were obviously in remain weak on the right side let's just get like another right shooting defender who can play a lot of minutes he's good he's he's got skill he can move the puck he can put up points let's just get that guy under our team and and that will make us better and i overlooked and i think they overlooked clearly um what you're talking about the fit part that like in i thought about it in terms of like other sports i I thought about it like in, in baseball and basketball like in basketball just get as many good players as you can and like figure out the fit stuff later and in hockey, I think you you can. I'm not sure that that works all the time. Like you 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 do need like specific skill sets for the roles that you're going to play. And it was pretty clear very quickly that Tyson Berry just wasn't going to be able to do what you're talking about to be able to 
basically defend. Like they needed someone who was. We we talked about it last summer. They needed someone who was good defensively to well, who, help them that way, and he wasn't. Who's your D pair that you're going to play 25 minutes a game, yeah. 20 minutes at five on five against the other team's top lines? Who who was like that was that question was never answered. It was it, it, they? Yeah, I should have thought about it that way. Yeah, they have never had an answer. You know, they they tried playing Barry with Muzzin. You know, you answer that like, why did Hall work so much better with Muzzin than Barry? Because Hall was, you know, bigger and able to close guys out more, and is more of a complementary to to what Muzzin can do than Barry is. Well, and and obviously they believed, and Dubas said this at the time that they could kind of salvage Cody Cece. Um, and and maybe like if he was on your second pair all year, it's still it's still maybe a stretch, but it's not terrible. And Dubis, like in that season ending avail we were talking about, he mentioned like some of these tracking stats that we don't have access to suggest he's better than people think he is. And I'm I don't have any reason to doubt that. Like defensively, I think there's probably some stuff you can point to. It was the same with Nikita Zaitsev. Um, but the the flaws feel like too much like i think you pointed out a long a lot of times if he's on your third pair fine like that's that's okay he kills penalties plays 15 minutes a game okay but it's like when you ask him to do too much it's it goes too far yeah well i you know some of the smart people i talk to around the league talk so much about strength of competition and how important it is and you know the difference between if you're facing a, a fourth line or a first line is like it's a it's like you're playing a completely different game and the players that can face first lines and not get crushed are so much more valuable than the players that, that can't do that. Uh, and the Leafs need more players that, that can play against. You can play those tough minutes. Well, but you know, part of this is, is to it goes back to some of those contracts. They were betting on their young players. Like they bet on Janssen to be like he was halfway through last year they were betting on Kapanen taking a step um they were even betting like Neander was great um you can question his playoffs Marner had kind of an okay season by his standards obviously still great for 95 percent of the players in the league Tavares same thing um but like I think you can boil it down to those contracts haven't totally worked um, well, I mean, the Janssen one's a miss. The Janssen for, one, for sure. Well, it's, but it's early. It's early. Like that's a longer. That's a bet that he's going to outplay that. And it's the same thing with Kerfoot. Like they, they gave Kerfoot a four-year contract. Like he had been in the league two years, right. um, and they basically bet on this guy is good. Like this guy can be our third-line center. And I'm sure and like, he was just some, he, some people yeah. listening probably think we're like in the weeds too much here talking about. But, like, if you give Janssen an extra million over... Like, I thought they were just going to bridge Janssen on, like, a one- or a two-year contract and give him a really low number. And that could have freed them up, you know, a million, a million and a half of cap space. I mean, there's all this hand-wringing and all this... People are so upset over how much more Marner is getting than what he should have got. I mean, what should he have got? Nine million or something? So he got an extra... Yeah, it's not that crazy. He got an extra 1.8. I mean, it's, it's not ideal, but... I think I'd rather overpay Marner 1.8 than overpay Janssen 1.5 or you know what I mean like like yeah like at least you're getting at least you're getting an elite talent locked in for 6 years but there's all yep. these there were these decisions around the margins where they spent a lot of money that they probably didn't have to and they probably could have used that that cap space elsewhere well and the other thing is like you need those guys to be awesome and outside of Matthews in the playoffs, they weren't like you can. I you had. A, I thought Tavares was um, pretty good. I know I saw that in your your story today. If people haven't read it, you did a staying or going piece that was really good. Um, I don't know if I I think that that traces back to game two when he had like ten shot attempts and like mm. everything was in tight. I don't think he had a great series. And, and even Sheldon Keith pointed out that the reason like he felt like he had to to go up go with. Tavares, Marner, Matthews is that the Tavares lines weren't working; they were getting outplayed. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't think he had a great playoffs. He was, he was fine, but like you need those guys to be 
the the biggest advantage you have in a series like that is you have Matthews, Marner, Nealander, and Math and uh, Tavares, and that wasn't like a huge advantage. And and that to me, like it, you can boil it down to that in in some ways. And Frederick Anderson again, like you can point to his save percentage. Fine, he was the second best goalie in the series, and obviously Columbus played two goalies. But of the creases, of the two different creases, he was second best. I don't, I, I don't know. Sometimes, like to me, it's it's not so much more complex than that. I don't know. Is that too simplistic? Well, it's like the Leafs had the more expensive goalies, the more expensive star players. They were probably yeah. spending more in a lot of areas than Columbus was. And you know, I thought watching the series, I wondered if maybe the biggest flaw in paying so many guys so much money is that you can neutralize players like that with players who make much less money. You know, it's, it's going to be like, I think in hockey it's, it, we're starting to go in this direction, but we're not fully there, but the kind of money ball philosophy where every dollar gets allocated in a way that, you know, guys are outperforming their contracts it's pretty hard to mm-hmm. outperform eleven an eleven million dollar contract. It's yes. it's pretty tough, and yes, you know Columbus has guys like Riley Nash and that don't make Gavrikov that don't make a lot of money, but are really good at making sure that eleven million dollar players can't make a big impact in a series like that. And mm-hmm. maybe part of what the Leafs need is they need some more guys that can completely neutralize the other team. Well, yeah, um, like Boone Jenner and like you, the, the, it's it's a tough balance. So like you want every team wants Marner, every team wants Matthews. Like that's that's the hardest stuff to get, and it feels like the the stuff around the edges is a lot easier to get. And it's funny you mentioned Moneyball. I actually just reread it. Uh, I just finished it. Um, I read it when it when it first came out, and I've kind of reread it, and it, it's it's really interesting given the way that hockey's gone. And and one of the things that they look at, obviously, with Oakland is they found, like, all... and continue to find, like, all these inefficiencies in in the way people look at um, baseball players. And it got me thinking about the way Dubas has kind of looked at some of the players that he's brought in. Like, one of Billy Bean's kind of strategies was a lot of what scouting looks at with baseball players doesn't matter like it's stupid like um you know one of the guys they bring up in the book like he's he's huge he's a big dude he's he doesn't look like a baseball player and billy bean's point is like who cares like and i wonder if there's been like a little bit too much of the we're just going to get all these skill guys because we think that's like that's going to be the way forward and maybe that maybe that's not as much of an inefficiency as it's perceived or we think it is. The book gets into all these like weird reject players, right? Like there's Bradford who throws the sidearm that no one wants him because he looks strange. And then there's the, what's his name? Yeah. Hatten, Hattenberg or whatever. Who uh, Scott Hatterberg. Hatterberg, the, who they change positions and because they, you know, like his bat because he gets on base or whatever. And um, obviously the Leafs are looking at things that we don't have privy. We don't have the ability to see. Um, Mm -hmm. and there are things that they like about guys like Martin Marinch and and Cody Cece who they fail the eye test a lot of the time, um, but they're, they're passing the numbers test, but you know, the alt, I don't know. I I wonder where the Leafs rank across around the league in their internal stats. Like, I wonder where, like we can see expected goals and Corsi and, Fenwick and scoring chances and all this stuff that's on natural stat trick that we look at a lot. I wonder how much different the Leafs numbers are than those. And because like in those numbers, the Leafs are not an elite team. Like it's not like the Leafs are like top two or three overall in expected goals or scoring chance share. Or It's, no. it's not like they're completely crushing the league in that stuff. Um, so... Well, I, it doesn't I, feel like, James, like it doesn't feel like they have, like want to go back to that book is like, and they still do it today. Like you can look at Oakland's team today. Like they still have all these guys where you're just like, how the, how do they find this guy? Like where do they find Ramon Lariano and like who, where are these guys coming from? And I don't know that you can look at the Leafs yet. 
under Kyle Dubas and say like aside from Justin Hall and that's that's a really good example. Well, like Nick Robertson's a good example. Like there's a guy they pull from the draft, you know, and and has the monster. Yeah, but I guess like last summer James like you almost need to be able to find some guy that we don't think is much plop him onto your lineup and we're like how did the, how did they find this right. guy? So there was like yeah, so like they need I mean Mikheyev is one example, I guess. Um, okay, so that's two examples. So my point doesn't make any sense. No, no, no. I think you're right. No, I, I think that like they almost needed like Nick Patan or Agostino or who are some of the defensemen they brought in? Like Kevin Gravel. I mean, who obviously yeah. had, had a really serious illness and it ruined his whole season. Or They kind of needed some of those guys to really... I mean, Justin Hall's an example. Like Justin Hall's a... a is Great a cho- it, it, Like there's a... You know, Babcock thought the guy couldn't play at all. And... It scratched him almost the entire year last year, and then and then he's on your shutdown pair by the end of the season with Muzzin and and playing really well, and you know so it's not like they haven't found any of those pieces, but they're going to need a lot more of them, and they're going to need to stop. And, I, and this is hindsight talking too, because I like Andreas Janssen, but they're going to need to like Andreas Janssen can't outperform a three point four million dollar contract. Like it's not he's not going to be able to do that. Like, I almost wonder with a guy like that, if you just, like, don't try and outsmart yourself. Just just give him the bridge deal for two years at $2 million. If he outperforms it, then great. Like, you decide if, if he's worth the money at that point. But the money you're saving, you know, in the second two years of a four-year deal, it's it's not going to be worth it if he doesn't perform through the, you know. it's it's You know what that speaks to, James? I think that speaks to two things. I think that speaks to one um looking at everything in a very big picture sense so you're looking at those two deals and you're being like you know what these guys hit over those three four years we're going to get value because like if 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 kapanen becomes a 25 goal scorer uh jansen becomes like a 50 60 point player those contracts are going to look really good and i think the other part about it is we want to take care of the players. Like we want to, we want these guys to feel comfortable. We want them to, to mm-hmm. know that they're important and they're here long term. And maybe there's like maybe you you just can't do that. Like maybe to credit Lula well, Morello you, and, you and granted pay you can guys point, more than they're worth to make them feel happy. Like <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> that's a part losing. Of it. right. It's a losing strategy. That's a losing strategy to do that. It, it has. Right. You gotta think. And I, I'm sure to some extent they are thinking of it like this. It's just we're guessing to some extent how they're looking at this, but whatever black box they've got that they're using in terms of the analytics that they've got, the end result has to be what you pay guys is less than the value they give you. You can't have right. everyone making exactly what they're worth. Then you're just an, right. you're the definition of an average NHL team. They need some outperformances on the contracts they've got. And I don't think they had enough of those this year. Well, um, I can we can look at it just quickly. Hyman is one. Mikheyev is one, although he played 39 games. So, I don't know. Uh, Muzzin is, is probably one. Justin Hall is one, for sure. He was making, like, nothing this year. Is there anyone else? Like, Spezza? Uh, yeah, I mean, Spezza was fine. I mean, and 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 you know what? Like Matthews is worth that much money, but he's not like he might be worth twelve, or you know what I mean? Like he's not. It's really tough for those guys at the top. Like Neilander probably outperformed his contract, but like not by any crazy stretch. Um, it's really tough for those guys at the top, especially to outperform those contracts. Like it comes back to that, which what you talked about, like for Tavares to be worth 11 million, he basically has to have that 47 goal, 88 point season every year. Doesn't he? I mean, maybe not quite that much, but I mean, he 40 never and 80. Did, yeah. Like he's going to have to be really good. I mean, I think Matthews did outperform his contract. I mean, he was on pace for 55 right. goals. Like, Matthews was yep. probably a $15 million player this year or 16 or whatever, something mm-hmm. that doesn't exist. But the problem is, like, it's not – other teams around the league aren't paying anybody $16 million cap hit. So, um, Well, I mean, I like, know, Ryan they, O'Reilly is getting, like, 7 and change and Barkov's so, getting 5.9. Like, it's tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, Jonas, we're a half hour in. I think we should talk about kind of – 
so we, we've kind of talked through the, what the problems are. I mean, I, I think solutions can be something that we talk about. And I think that one way they can find more of these inefficiencies and more of these value guys is they're going to need to turn over some of the roster. Like they have a lot of players signed and under control. They basically have a full lineup once they get their RFAs signed. Like it's not like there's a whole bunch of empty roster spots to be filled, right? Yes. Like, yep. So the only way... And I think that free agency this year, potentially, is there's going to be a lot of bargains there because there's a lot of teams that are capped out. Uh, there's going to be a lot of teams that can't spend a lot of money. Um, the UFAs that sign are probably going to be signing for less than they would have if the cap was higher. And that's not a very shocking thing to say. The Leafs cannot be players in that UFA bargain bin if they have a full roster and they're capped out. They cannot be aggressive shoppers in free agency they cannot take advantage of the fact that free agents are going to be cheaper so they have to they have to clear some players in order to be, be to be players there if they don't then their competition you know whether it's philly or boston or columbus or whoever they're going to get those players they're going to potentially get those value buys and the leafs aren't going to be in that marketplace that to me, that's the bottom line for why, partly why they need to make some changes and, and move some salary out here. Well, so then the question becomes how significant yeah. do those changes or are those changes? That's the question. And I guess the, that's the question of this summer for this team for me is is how yeah. how deep do you have to cut to change things? Well, and so you can look at this two ways, I think. You can look at this season and say, well, you know what? It's a five game series. Uh, after a five-month break. And I actually liked the way Shanahan responded to that when he was asked something along those lines. And he's like, well, that's what it was. Like, that's sports. Like, that's how it goes. And I think you can look back to the regular season and how meh and disappointing it was and look back to even the year before, and it was the same kind of thing. And so you wonder if, like, at the heart of this thing, if there is something wrong, and that speaks to that those core four guys and whether you need to take one piece out and try to get more balance elsewhere, or if you just kind of keep tinkering around the margins and keep trying to fix the Tyson Berries and the Cody CCs and the Kapanins and the Janssens, I lean towards the latter. Where do you kind of sit? It's a, it's a difficult question to answer without getting into, like, I think you only trade a quote unquote core piece if it's a good trade. Like if you can if you can find a deal that makes sense. Well, and so to stop you right there, so a good example of what not to do, again, hindsight being what it is, is what they did with Kadri last summer, where they basically said, like, this is our chip to to fix the, the issue on defense. This is the best trade we can do. This is the best one we see out there. We tried one, it was blocked. This is the best we can do, let's just do it. And it feels like that's the kind of move you can't make again, where you're just you're just doing it because like you, you're doing it. It's the same. It's the same as like you can't lose all of your contract bets <clears throat> with guys like Janssen and Kapanen, and you can't lose your trades. I mean, if like how are yeah. you getting better if you keep if you're losing on on like you can't. We'll see what Kerfoot turns into, and we'll see how Kadri ages and all those kinds of things. But, you know, the story of that trade is that the Leafs needed a right-shot defenseman that could help make them better, and they didn't They didn't really get one. So if if they would have got a defenseman who made them better in their top four... Right. That's when, it, like, it's okay, James. Like, it would have been okay if Kerfoot is, like, a slight downgrade from Kadri... But they get this defenseman who just solves their needs. That that would have been fine. Even if but it's not like only a really solid, yeah. Even if yeah. it's like a really solid three or four kind of defenseman. It's not like they needed like a number one D in that trade. They just they needed someone to come in and and it, especially if it was someone that they potentially could have kept. And that's another thing that other teams really didn't like about that trade is they're like they're only going to have Barry for like one year. Like he's not yeah. what they need, and, and they you're never barely get to him. No. It's going to be fascinating to see what he gets in free agency. But so that's why I think like when you look at the possibility of trading, it really is just Neander, clearly. Um, They're not trading Matthews. They can't trade Tavares. Kyle Dubas has come out and said they're not trading Marner. I'm not sure. We we should get into that 
whole thing. Uh, but so it, it comes down to maybe trading Nylander. And I think you have to be really fucking careful when you're thinking about trading someone like that because you kind of have to get back like what you're talking about, like that perfect piece. And how many perfect pieces are there out there? Because even the guys you look at and you're like, that guy would be like Seth Jones. Like you look at him and you're like, man, like that would solve all their problems. And Seth Jones is awesome. He's in the right bracket. He's on a good contract, but he's only signed for two more years. And then he's a free agent and he's going to want nine, 10 million, whatever. And so like, there's all those little complexities where it's hard to like find like a perfect, perfect trade. You know what no. I mean? That's why they can't go into this offseason and say, we're trading this guy, this guy, and this guy. Yeah. They have to go. I think they need to go in with, we're keeping these five players. Everyone else is potentially available. What deals can we find? And do they make us better or not? And if the answer is they make us better, then you do them. And if the answer is they don't make us better, you don't do them. And that's that's like that's a really simple, simplistic way but I wonder if they went into last season thinking we have to trade Kadri for a defenseman and they weren't able to find the trade that they really wanted and then they still went ahead and did it when they can't go. There are some people that I've talked to that are like, they have to trade Nylander, they have to trade Nylander, they have to trade Nylander. There's a lot of those people around the league and it's not just people on TV and talking heads and people trying to get clicks. There's a lot of people in hockey that believe that. But you can't, you're right. I mean, like if you... You have to make yourself better in that trade. If you make yourself better, then you can trade Nylander. That that's the rule. The issue is is then like you continue to kind of downgrade your your biggest advantage. Like I, the more I I thought about it as as time went on, it felt like a mistake to give what you could argue was the best one two three center combination one year. And I think you can look at you know their those core four guys. It feels like it, it would be a mistake to give that two years. And and both those two years kind of have all these little weird complexities like Kadri getting suspended, Neilander having like the contract situation this year with the pandemic. And like, it feels like you need to give that a little bit longer run. And that's why like, if you want to change like substantial parts of your team, like you look at the group that's been here the last four years, I look at the guys and, and you talked about it in your piece I look at Kapanen, I look at Anderson. Those are the, the first two guys that come to mind for me. Um, I think we should start with Anderson. Um, I You've made this point before the, the season came back, and I was kind of on the fence. I'm not on the fence anymore. I think they kind of need to figure out a solution that's that's better than Anderson because I just – I don't know how you could look at anything that happened this year or in the, the past years that would tell you that he can make – a deep playoff run and yet he probably still could like i don't know how i just don't get that feeling from him that he's going to be that what do you think yeah and i mean it's the same thing with what i said with nylander is that you got to be you got to feel fairly confident that the replacement that you're putting in there is and this is this is an area where i think that you know if your analytics are good, if your and goalie analytics are a whole different thing, if they're good, you should be able to find some value in goal. You know, it's 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 one of those th- areas where Carey Price is making ten million and Bobrovsky's making, I think he's making ten million, and there's all these terrible goalie contracts around the league. There's so many of them, and if you're going to be a smart team where you have people outperform their contracts, I think goal is is an area where that makes sense, and. I would say Anderson's kind of performed at his contract uh, for the most part in Toronto. And then this year was his weakest year. And I kind of wonder if Anderson should only be a tandem goaltender. You know, I, I like it feels like the Leafs have played him too much. They haven't given him enough support. Um, and, and, he's well, making five, and he's making five million. I mean, it, I, if Anderson comes back, this is his last year. So the question is, do you want this last year of a lame duck Anderson making $5 million, giving you what you've seen him play four years? He's probably not going to outperform what he's done the last four years. I think we know what Anderson is. Do you want to try? You're going to have to move on from Anderson for sure after next year. Like it, it, From what I can tell, it doesn't sound like there's any chance he's coming back. Um, why not explore some alternatives now? 
and see if there are any that you like. Well, it, you could just go into next year and and let's say you sign Thomas Greish for, I don't know, not three and a half, yeah. less. There's there's so many goalies out there. Like I don't even know what these guys can demand. I feel like you might be able to talk yourself into we can get the same, not maybe not like as good, but we can get close to the same value from Greish during the regular season. And then. We'll just kind of see who's playing better, Grice or, or Campbell, and, and kind of take that chance. Because, like, even if Anderson, let's say Anderson has, like, an amazing regular season next year. If I was them, I would still have the same concerns that I have right now about Anderson in the playoffs. Like, that he just gets a little little shaky and that, that something happens. And what I don't are, know what it is. There's something and to be maybe, said, Jonas, for having two goalies you like. Like, like Columbus is that series is a perfect example where both the guys play. They both play well at different times. They trade in and out, and you win the series that way. And the Leafs have not had that option since. <laughs> What's the last playoff series they went into where you like both the goalies? Like it's, and it, I feel like I don't know if Campbell's the guy for sure, but I think that you got to give him a shot, and I think you got to play him thirty, thirty-five games. Well, it, it's to your point. It's just an opportunity at maybe getting some value that you're not getting yeah. out of Anderson. Right. Um, well, and, and then the other too, guy, Jonas. Jonas, I think you can trade Anderson and get something. I, I, I well, really that do. I'm not sure of. I really I do. I don't know. He only makes five Why? million. There's going to be a team that needs a starting goalie. You look. But there's at goal- five million starting goalies out there in free agency. Why wouldn't I just not sign a guy? Really, for there aren't that many that have Andersons that have won as yeah, many there games are. as he has. There's totally that, are. There's not that many. In free, in I'm going to pull agency. it up very quickly. Okay. Yes, there are. Give me They're the, like give, literally. Give me the list of UFA goalies that have won as many games as Anderson in the last four years. Okay, you ready? Uh, it's going to be on. like two. It's going to be like two guys. It's not. And they're all going to be a lot older than Anderson. No, that have that have won as many games as he has. <laughs> okay, I'll give you some names. Braden Holpe, Corey Crawford. Uh, why, why isn't it sorting by goalies? This is frustrating, but that's two right there. Uh, Robin Leonard. Uh, who else do you want me to keep naming? Yeah, but I don't. But some of these guys haven't won as many games as Anderson in the last four years. Uh, I don't think that is that true, really. Yes, how many games has Leonard won in the last four years? You've told me that Leonard is better, like, we're just judging yeah. this now on wins. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, I think he's gonna have value in the marketplace. And the reason is that he's a guy that's been a number one for a long time and won a lot of games. Jacob Markstrom, Matt Murray's an RFA. Uh, Thomas Greish, I mentioned. Uh, yeah, you're, you're right. Cam Talbot. Like, I don't know. Another team's going to look at it, though, and say Anderson's one of the best three or four guys available, and we like him, and we'll give you X for him. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and that's something you have to consider. And then, um, so the only other guy that I think you seriously look at now is Kapanen. You made this point in your story, and I've really wavered back and forth. I'm not sure, like, that he's going to... I mean, this it's hard. It, it, you have need to be careful to, like, not judge a guy after his worst year. Or not his worst year, but a bad year. But it's hard to see, like, where he gets so much better um, from here. And yet, like... I don't know. He's six, whatever. He's really fast. He can score. Yeah, but I think that he's maybe a guy that's passing the eye test, but like kind of failing the results test a little bit. And it's not that Kaplan's a bad player. It's just, I think in terms of hockey IQ and his ability to make plays when he's playing with more talented line mates are going to mean that he's just a third line guy and a penalty killer. And the the reason that Kaplan stands out to me is I think you can get a really good asset in return for him it's not that i don't like him at all it's not that his contract's outrageous or anything like that i just think that other teams are gonna are gonna be willing to give you something really good for him now if that's not the yeah, case almost, then i don't trade him it's almost like he's empty calories a little bit um like you're talking about like it looks really like the package like you're like wow like he's so fast and he's big and like but that feels replaceable and with all their forwards like they have, like you mentioned, like you can put together their forward group pretty easily without him, and I don't know that you're losing that much. Um, well, and I just look at free agency, and maybe they'll be able to find a guy that makes one point eight or something, 
in free agency uh, where guys are going to get squeezed that can give you similar results. And maybe, yeah, and maybe who's a little different from what you got. Right, that's what I was going to say. I mean, like, if they want to change, there's there's been hints that they want to change stylistically the way the team plays and, and introduce some more Muzzin and Kyle Clifford-like players. Um, you can only do that if you move guys out. Like, we can't sit here and say, we like this guy and we like that guy, and we like... We don't want to trade Nylander. We don't want to trade this guy. We don't. You gotta. You gotta trade somebody to change things. All right. <laughs> I should add, James, um, that the two minute advantage with Pierre LeBron and Scott Burnside—they're doing their normal podcast on Wednesdays, and then Scott is doing a daily playoff edition Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, released at 10 a.m. throughout the playoffs. So check that out. Uh, anything else you want to mention before we scoot? We're going to keep podcasting. You know, I don't know. Okay. I don't know if we'll do every single week because, you know, we're going to, there's going to be some breaks and things, but we're going to, we're going to keep the show going. So, you know, thanks as always for subscribing. Uh, thanks for reading and, um, you know, give us your feedback on Twitter, uh, in the comments on the podcast and on, and on the website. Cause you know, we read a lot of them and, uh, you know, we're going to be digging in here for a lot of interesting off-season content. So it's a, it's a long way, Jonas, until the draft and free agency in October 9th. Theathletic.com slash leaf report, right, James? 40% yep. off? Spread that link around. Get it tattooed on your forehead. <laughs> Wear it to the next uh, outing that you go to, socially distanced, and sell some some, some subscriptions for us. Okay, well, so like James said, thank you for listening. We will be back to delve more into this interesting offseason very soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.